Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm delighted to be joined today by Seb Halford's Floor. Hi, Seb. Hi, Joe Devine. JJ Bull the Bullard. Hi. Hello, yes. How are we doing? Okay. Wouldn't you like to know weather, boy? Well, I actually don't. I actually don't. That's a, one of your favourite memes, isn't it, of the, of the moment, <laughs> yeah. of the current time? I'm glad I got to drop it in there. Yes. The Gen Z listeners that we have, all two or three percent of the audience will have loved that one. People will know what that is. Yeah, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. Anyway, people will definitely know what the World Cup is, and we're going to be discussing that today. Games including uh, Germany-Spain... We just watched that. Uh, Canada, Croatia. Sadly, Canada out of the tournament. We'll come to discuss them a little bit later. Uh, of course, Belgium, Morocco and Japan, Costa Rica occur today too. Plus, we're going to talk about Saudi Arabian World Cup coverage. Uh, we're going to talk about how f- long people walk for. That sounds boring, but it's not. And also, uh, we're going to talk about Carlos Queiroz. Yeah. So, yeah. lots to get through today. Uh, what was your favourite bit of the day, JJ? Uh, I think the start of Canada, because that was really exciting. Yeah. The and start Jared, of Canada. Yeah. Yeah. They well, started a new nation today. <laughs> Canada Plus? Ew. Canada 2. Canada 2. Electric okay. Boogaloo. Yeah. Well, if you like stuff that isn't true and uh, not at all real, you shouldn't get The Athletic, because on The Athletic, only things that are real and true appear there. And they appear there in the highest quality of the greatest form. Football journalism. That's right, I'm talking about The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, theathletic.com forward slash TIFO for all of your football journalism needs. And what have you enjoyed reading most recently, Seb? Um, I still haven't really, really enjoyed James Montague's coverage. So we are, as of tomorrow morning, we're putting out a piece on... um, the, the kind of the route to the Iranian protests that's coming out on the Illustrated channel. But there's a uh, much broader article that James did on that topic. And I just think it's one of the best pieces of journalism I've read all tournament. Sure. Uh, even even though the tournament is now eight days eight days old, but it's yeah. still, uh, still terrific. Worth the subscription fee alone. I'm giving you the saying. plus one emoji there, by which I mean agree. Thanks. Plus one. Yeah. Well, yeah. there we go. That's theathletic.com forward slash TIFO. Uh, and you can get, currently, I think you can get The Athletic for six months, one pound a month. Look at that. Black Friday. There you You love saying that, don't you? It makes it sound like a, a more special deal. Yeah. You know, I guess once so. a year. Sure. You know, so make use of it. Well, in which case I will leave you in the warm hands and the cool embrace of the consumerist Seb Stafford Bloor. Okay, where else to begin? But of course, with uh, Germany 1, 1 Spain, Seb. Good result for Germany in the end. Qualification still not quite in their own hands, of course, um, but they have probably tipped the balance in their favour with a point here. Yes, so obviously the day changed a bit when Japan failed to beat Costa Rica and lost. Uh, That changed Germany's task a little bit, reduced their jeopardy. Yeah. Um, I think what encouraged me was the goal clearly, and the result, but also the performance in probably the last 25 minutes. One of Germany's big issues coming to this tournament beyond the defence was their ability to create chances. Look back at their recent record over the past probably 12 to 18 months. They don't score many goals apart from the occasional sort of anomalous result. Mm. They're a one-goal team. They struggle against low blocks. Um, obviously, like given sort of Spain's strength in the first game and um, kind of the, the quality of their performance, uh it was going to put an even more emphasis on their ability to create and take chances. 
in the last 20 minutes, I thought they dominated things. Mm. Um, and there was a subtlety to the play that was really encouraging. I thought Musiala, this was probably the night when if you don't watch a lot of Bundesliga football, you woke up to what Jamal Musiala actually is and just how good he is. And the fact that, okay, so we know about Pedri. We all love him. Gavi's had a, a good tournament so far too. But I think people can see from this performance that Musiala belongs on the same stage. And, you know, there's a kind of, a, not quite a binary relationship, but he's part of that generation and that little group of, of excellent players that's yeah. going to be very prominent for the next decade. Xavi was asked who the most skillful players at the, well, I saw this quoted, so I can't guarantee this is yeah. actually true, but he said uh, the most skillful players at the World Cup are Pedri probably and Musiala. So he likes them. There was a moment in the first half when Messiola took down a long ball. He had Busquets um, behind him trying to win the ball. Messiola blocked him off. It was Rodri actually, I remember that. It was Rodri. Yeah. My, yeah. my apologies, you're quite right. It was Rodri. So a bigger opponent. And Messiola's quite, he's still quite a um, a willowy player. Mm, and nice. yeah, took the ball and managed in one motion just to drift across the box. And it was just a wonderful bit of football. Yeah. And um, goodness, Germany need it. And so that's the other element of Messiola, I think, is that Germany are, it's, not a you know it's not a particularly good german side in, a, in attack it's really short of ability and goal scoring um uh sort of it, it, it lacks a number nine it lacks the security of a like a, a miroslav closer for instance well, who, who was that chap goals. that they brought on towards the end nicholas fulkrug so i not a huge fulkrug fan he plays for Werder bremen he scored plenty of goals in the bundesliga this season but he was playing in this vita bundesliga last year uh. and his inclusion is kind of testament to just how, how how kind of shallow the German talent pool is in that right. position. Uh, no Timo Werner, it, of course. It feels um, uh, complicated and mean to try to make comparisons, but is it? would it be fair to kind of uh, say, is that is that kind of like, you know, Ricky Lambert having an extended run in the England team? Um, no, because it's not quite the story that Ricky Lambert was. It's not Beetroot Factory to Wembley. It's not quite the same right. thing. Did they not have Beetroot um, factories in Germany? Well, Nicholas Fulkrug didn't work in one. He didn't work in so one. So there probably right. are many, but um, right. he does not know what the inside of one looks like, I don't think. Um, he's a story. He's a... It sounds like one of my songs. <laughs> <laughs> he's a... And what I'm trying to get to the bottom to is just what you've got against this guy. No, nothing Why is it that you, you hate him so much? I don't hate him so much. I was quite disparaging when he came on because I think he's quite a one-dimensional player. Yeah. And he is, mainly this evening, I probably would have brought on Yusuf Mikoku instead just because right. I, I enjoy watching him. He's the future as well. He is a very, very talented player. He, uh, I was wrong about that, obviously, because Fulker scored and, and converted his chance brilliantly. But um, it's a half-and-half half situation. Wonderful story, well done. He deserves his opportunity. On the other hand, um, in a different generation with a richer talent pool, probably wouldn't get that opportunity he would just be a good bundesliga story that the mm -hmm. rest of the world wouldn't see so uh strange old time for the german football team so i think it's a really good result okay really good result okay great well jj the first thing we said to each other in the first 10 minutes of this game was and not to disparage any of the other world cup games so far but it is nice to watch top level football isn't it it's nice when the football's really good yeah. yes yeah again not to you know no offense to the other teams. Well, there are different different fun things to be found in some of the other games. But in this one, yeah. it felt like we were settling down to watch a Champions League quarterfinal tie. Exactly. And uh, part of the fun of the World Cup is that teams who aren't especially good and players who aren't very good, who wouldn't be able to play in Champions League games because they just can't handle it, uh, can win entire matches at yeah. the World Cup. Whereas what you see with Spain and Germany today was just the absolute elite 
lovely like technique everywhere all over the pitch fast one two touch passing yeah. not everyone can do that most players it's not that they don't have the technique to do it but they don't maybe have the confidence in their technique in a high pressure situation so it's all about the technique then you've got the mental aspect of the confidence and the trust in your own ability to do it and the managers being braver with their tactics you saw with I'm trying to think who we've seen today i can't remember the teams belgium's passing every single pass was you take a touch, you'd slow it down, take a touch, take a touch, then a pass, and it slows everything down so the opposition yeah. can get in posi- and they can defend you better. It's the way I play football. When someone passes to me, I put my foot on it and then I take two steps back to have a look around yeah. and then I approach it again to pass. Exactly. Whereas you have in the Spain game, you had Pedri plays as though he knows exactly where everyone is all the time. And every time Spain got the ball, the Spain player, they always had two or three options. They always move, they always move it to a different angle to be able to give themselves an extra passing option. It's really nice to watch. Germany weren't bad either. Like they were trying to hit them more in the break. I think Spain had the better of the first half and more control of it. But Germany were pressing them quite high up the pitch. They were trying to get them like right up the pitch to try and stop them early on. But Spain always moving in and out of possession. Like if you watch Pedri play, and we talked to him about that before, but you watch the way Pedri plays, he never stands still. He always moves in and out of position to make sure that wherever he is, there is another option for someone else. He passes the ball. The ball gets moved around a bit, then he moves to another position to be able to receive it and keep the move going. And you saw with Belgium today, everyone stood still. There's yeah. no movement anywhere. Whereas all these Spanish players, I can see Germany as well, constantly moving. So it's nice. It's it's clever. Mm. It's entertaining. Didn't you always feel as if that movement was going to be Germany's undoing just because there's always going to be not necessarily an error in the German defense, but a moment when it doesn't react quick enough, it doesn't adjust properly, someone's caught over out of position, and the Maratha finish is brilliant. It's so deft, it's so composed. But also, like, I don't think it's unfair to say Sile should be responding quicker to that. And like when you have that much movement around these German defenders, because um, Hansi Flick has mixed, mixed and matched with so many different combinations, there's no real natural chemistry here. And nobody is quite sure of their role and their responsibilities. And that movement is kind of, it's a disaster for, for, for the German defenders. I See, think. I don't know if I th- agree that it's, that they don't know how to their players or they're not cohesed. Cohesion. Cohesed. Yeah. They are cohesed. They haven't got full cohesion. But when you don't have a, a like a focal point up top, if you don't have someone as number nine pushing the defence back, it's very easy for the team. If everyone drops, uh, if everyone drops back, if you have loads of players that aren't, pinning a defender back then everyone can push up and then you remove space for your midfielders as well to be able to pass you just squeeze the they can squeeze the pitch easier so you need to have someone that plays sort of further up i think so anyway for most of the time to push Mm. someone further up so you try and keep these defenders slightly further back not because you then are more likely to score but because you create more space behind like the defender moves back you create more space uh between the lines for other players to play in and then what they want to do, like in the previews I was doing for the World Cup stuff, what I saw with Germany was that these little players like Müller, Musiala and Canabri, Gundogan, they all want to play together in little tight combinations because they get maybe three of them together at once. So you get like Musiala, Müller and, I don't know, uh, Gundogan would, would drop in and they get a little tight three together so they can ping the ball about and then ping it forward after they've drawn players towards them. But Spain were had a really good shape. Like this will work for Germany against lesser teams, but Spain are very, very good. Mm. And so I think maybe some of the things they watched through they couldn't quite well, do, maybe. Before I ask you the next question, JJ, let me tell you, I was it was curiously listening to you there about uh, Musiala and um uh, and Pedri. So I've asked the chat, I've put a poll in the in the live chat tonight <sighs> to see who the chat thought was better in this game. <laughs> so chat, get your answers into that poll. Uh, whilst I ask JJ, Spain Whilst we weren't talking about them lows before the tournament started, they now appear, they, they look like a team, perhaps alongside France, who, you know, could could win the whole thing. We, obviously, we haven't seen much of Brazil yet, but the other big teams have been a little bit disappointing. 
the other teams. Other big teams oh, are the favourites in the tournament. Yes, yeah. I understand. Sorry. Uh, I, yeah, so Spain, I didn't, they weren't really on my radar for some reason because I, it, you almost assume that they're done now because the 2010 year is gone. So you think, well, mm. they're done now and all yeah. the lads have disappeared. Zabby they they could never do that again. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but then the manager has got them playing. So one of the things that is best about Spain is obviously the players are all very technically good and they all play in a similar way, but the national team has a very identifiable way of playing. So a lot of the things you'll read about Spain at the moment is that if you put them all in disguises, all the teams are wearing disguises, like they're all wearing, uh, Mustaches and top hats. Mustaches and top hats. Yes. Yeah. They were looking through a, a hollowed out bagel. Yes. And opening newspapers that had two eyes cut out. They're, and, uh, yeah, they're, they're all dressed as... Is that spies or, or disguise? That's just spies, isn't it? Spies, yeah. In my that, head, I have the like, old-timey criminals. Yeah. That happens like, in one of the Gromit, though, doesn't it? When he's spying on the penguin. Sure. And, yeah, he has the, the cut-out paper. Yes, yeah. yes, If yes. criminals didn't want to be caught, they shouldn't have worn those stripy T-shirts. That's right. That's what I say. Yes. So you could put any team in those clothes... And you'll be able to tell who Spain are because the way they play, because yeah. it's very, very unique. And that's what we've seen them play. But what they've had, what they have done in qualifying has been really good between the two boxes. So really good at around midfield and keeping the ball and pinging it about and being lovely to watch. But they haven't been able to finish things. So Morata they're relying on. So Morata came on as a substitute in the second half, didn't he? He came on for I think it was Fernand Torres. And then he plays through the middle. So as we're talking about the having a focal point up front, so what Spain often didn't have was a focal point because you'd have essentially would drop into that kind of false nine position slightly deeper so they can get more players close together so you can keep the ball better. And then hopefully you can open up a chance in behind for someone like Asensio or Olmo to get in behind. But when you've got Murata is not more of a nine, suddenly you've got a player you can hit uh, low crosses into from early positions so that they can run onto it and score, which you might not have if all your players have a deeper starting position. So it just changes the way you attack a little bit. And it's almost like they waited until later to put him on because then they knew Germany might be a little bit more tired. It might get more, it's not just like physically tired to run, that mm. they might be mentally tired and not make that one extra adjustment yeah. to get ahead of it. Like Sula with the goal that Murata scored, getting just ahead of him to score. That might be one of the things about it but yeah it's, it is odd that spain weren't considered one of the absolute favorites going into it because they've basically not conceded any goals they're very good they're really I, good to watch i think they didn't have the story so i think we got we were fascinated by idea. neymar and the ballon d'or messi and the last go at the world cup spain don't have a story they just have a collection of really good players like mm. pedri gavi like we're, we enjoy watching them i don't know whether that has quite the cut through appeal for a world cup quite yet it should do but it's maybe a little bit early for them but there's no there's no narrative there's no redemption there's no there's no ultimate triumph. I guess ultimately, I mean, player. it's certainly not a narrative on the scale of the of the two that you've mentioned already. But Pedri and Gavi dominating that midfield. I mean, that's the Spain narrative, right? This is the first World Cup where, as we said before, we associate Spain with 2010, uh, with the midfield of, of Iniesta and Xavi. Yeah. And now we're watching really for the first time Gavi and Pedri pl playing together in, in, at a World Cup. I mean, it's, it's exciting, right? You, you start to think four years from now, what's that going to look like? And they have like functional players that they can bring on as well. Like players like uh, Nico Williams comes off the bench, a really quick winger. So you've got somebody who can play in the counter attack. You've got Ansu Fati. I think he's a it's brilliant player. They've got Ansu Fati. Exactly. Off the he's not even on the pitch. He's, he's a outright brilliant winger. player. Because they're not really playing like outright wingers. Yeah. They were playing Ferran Torres quite wide. So they, what they were doing a lot of the time is drawing players over to one side of the pitch. So they'd leave one other player on, on, this, on the side. So say Fati was playing, I'll take it and send you off. If Fati was playing, they draw Germany over to one side. So they get this one player here. But that was today, it was Ferran Torres. Another day, it could be Ansu Fati, one of the best young players in the world, easily. 
Then they've got loads of midfielders on the bench who can come on, like Carlos Soler. Uh, Koki comes on to give them a bit of grit and a, a bit more control in the midfield, maybe. And they've got decent defenders, like Pau Torres, who's one of the, everyone's favourites at the Euros, wasn't he? And mm-hmm. He's not come on. You've yeah. got... Uh, t- there's just really good players there and they should definitely be one considered one of the favourites yeah. I think well I think they are now well, they are well that makes sense because they, they should are be now. Um, we've had over a thousand votes in the poll Ooh, the poll of course was who was better Musiala or Pedri without looking what's your instinct JJ um, because maybe because people will be in the wind up because I'm here it'll be Pedri I think he's the better player but I'd love Musiala Tonight, I think Musiala was better. Well, Seb, the, the chat sides with Seb. Uh, Musiala was better tonight, according to the chat. 70% of, of the uh, 1,044 votes went to Musiala. Wow. Okay. And the thing is, he was really great tonight, but he was a very, he was really effective and uh, useful in attacking phases. So he's very much getting into like the last part of the pitch to affect things where you remember things yeah. whereas Pedri was more or less darting in and out but behind deeper in the pitch what you're saying areas. is that the chat uh, they're stupid and they, they don't really watch the game in the same sort of level of intelligence they're not on the same plane as you in terms of being able to recognise what's good about a football game that's not why I'm saying publicly on the live stream but if the mics were off and we weren't live if the mics were off and the gloves were off the gloves would also be off the, the what yes. else would be off you Trousers, trousers right, yeah. Off. Yeah. <laughs> okay, my jumper is off. Let's keep the trousers on just, just for off. now. Everything, oh, okay. All of JJ's clothes are off. Um, but uh, let's. Um, and Pedri remains. We'll come back to Spain and uh, potentially Germany, of course, uh, as the tournament progresses. But before we go to a break, Seb, what is this I hear about Saudi Arabia coverage of the World Cup games? Right. This is a complicated one, Joe, and it's a very, very strange situation which doesn't really have many answers at the moment. But. Um, so in um, in everyone is aware of BN, yeah. the um, the Qatari broadcaster. Yeah, they have a subsidiary, a streaming service, which is um, called Todd T O D. I don't know if it's pronounced Todd or whether people refer to it that way, but it is the um, this most popular streaming service in Saudi Arabia. And just before the tournament started, it was blocked, literally an, an hour before it did. Yeah. Um, so it was blocked in in Saudi Arabia. Um, which is a very strange situation because uh, at the moment, the as everyone remembers, there was a um, big controversy between BN and Saudi Arabia. Um, it was one of the, the factors which held up the um, public investment funds acquisition of Newcastle United. You had a piracy situation uh, the, uh, the it was that was called Be Out Q. Yeah, it was, um, it was complicated, went on for a very long time. Once it was resolved, uh, the relations between uh, Qatar and Saudi seemed to thaw. So much so, Joe, that... Um, the public investment fund was, um, is, continues to look, uh, it continues to sort of uh, uh, look at acquiring part of BN, right. uh, acquiring a stake in it. And yet, um, for some reason, um, whilst I think about a third of the, the World Cup games are available in Saudi Arabia free to view, um, so on their version of BBC, everyone can watch them, obviously, uh, and that includes Saudi Arabia's actual games, very, very yeah. important because of, of their performance in this tournament. The rest of them remain behind this uh, blocked streaming service. Now, um, no one seems to know why. The um, media ministry is um, not providing answers, the Saudi Arabia media ministry. FIFA has not responded to comment and nobody knows. And as you can imagine, a lot of very, very, very angry people. Um, it's very odd because also like um, for the tournament, um, the PIF signed a, a very big lucrative advertising deal with BN. Um, so there's no 
We can't even guess as to the reason at the moment. We know yeah. that, for instance, there was a outbreak of piracy just before the tournament, which um, caused a few issues, but that was resolved. So it's not really that. And it remains blocked. So a lot of people are not able to watch all of the World Cup at the moment in Saudi Arabia, which huh. is no good. No yes. good at all. That, is a, that um, is a shame given how the team is performing. Yeah, and also it seems to be counter to a lot of the messaging. Um, Mohammed bin Salman has um, sort of urged people in Saudi Arabia to get behind the Qatari World Cup. And so there's no sort of, there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's very mm. difficult to understand why it's happening, but it continues to. I had a, a quick chat with um, Matt Slater from The Athletic today, and he says that the situation remains very difficult, has no answers. Nobody really knows what's happening. Nobody's commenting. Yeah. Nobody's explaining. Very weird. Okay. Very weird. Well, we'll keep an eye on that situation. Yeah, hopefully it gets solved soon because you want everyone to be able to watch the World Cup. And yeah. um, also, you know, these are these are paying subscribers, so they definitely want them to be able to watch the World Cup. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, uh, fine. Well, before we go to a break, and this is something I was supposed to do at the end of the, uh, the Spain-Germany game, mm. I just wanted to say hello, if they're still watching, to Carmen and Carmen's dad watching from Spain. Yes? It's looking good, Senor Carmen's dad, for Spain, that is. I'm sure you're looking good too. And maybe you're not watching anymore because we stopped talking about your team and we started talking about uh, broadcasting in the Middle East. But anyway, hope you're well. I don't know you. Let's move on uh, to have a break. We're having a break now and we'll come back another time after the break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Yes! What a delight. Did you enjoy that break, JJ? Oh, yes. One of the better ones? Have I... you got your trousers back on now? Yes. Yes. Fully clothed? Yes. Appropriate to be on camera? Absolutely. Good, I'm good. always appropriate to be on camera. You're wearing blue jeans today. Yes. You like that, this is really very controversial like when he came in in blue jeans. Yeah. Not a blue jeans wearer, JJ. Well, no, and Seb, you and I had the same reaction, which is yeah. to say, I don't think we've ever seen you well, in jeans and, and, before. And he got quite defensive and said, I wear jeans all the time. Apparently you wear jeans every day. But he wears black jeans. I wear black, black jeans. jeans. Yeah. That's the same as jeans. But... Not blue jeans. No, it's that's very true. Different. Well, very new. different. Yeah. So I'm wearing blue jeans. Yeah, I feel like you were sort of strutted in with a with a, yeah. a Coke can with a glistening dew bead down it, and then you were like blowing on a harmonica as well. Yeah. yeah. With your with your E Street band. I took my cowboy you. cowboy hat off. But it, your cowboy hat. Yeah, cowboy. <laughs> I used to buy by cows. You bought a cow. Yeah. That's, that's and then that you wear when you and go then to they the market. Sold me some beans, damn it! And so I'm growing this massive, massive tree in my garden now that I'm yeah. going to climb one day because I think there's going to be a goose at the top. A goose. Well, there we go. Now, speaking of geese, where are there lots of geese to be found? Canada. Canada. Yeah. And of course, Canada are out of the World Cup. What a shame. But they've got some beautiful geese there. Uh, and the Canada will be fine. Lovely country, Canada. They'll be absolutely fine. Um, but let's talk about John Herdman first, yeah. Seb, um, who did a bit of talking, a little bit of chat ahead of the game. Um, he said that they were going to go and F Croatia. Now, I found this amusing because I didn't actually watch the clip um, until just a few minutes before the podcast started. I heard people talking about him saying, going to go and F Croatia. I yeah. assumed he'd said the whole word and that the media were just uh, using F in place. But no, he actually said F. Yes, he did. Yes, yes he did. John Herdman is someone who, he doesn't hate the attention. He's a um, pretty gregarious character. The first time I, was, I, I came across him, he was 
managing the Canadian women's team in the 2015 World, World Cup. And he was giving a team talk on the sideline with kind of magnetic boards uh, in a pair of sunglasses and a very starch shirt. And it was very ostentatious. And that's his personality. He said what he did. And because of what happened today, I think um, uh, Cramerich has come out after the game and, and I, I think either on Instagram or Twitter said, oh, who did the effing today or something? And, mm. and everyone's having their fun with him. And and the easy response is to say, oh, you look stupid now, John Herman. And yeah, maybe that's not the right look. And you, you sort of expose yourself to looking silly. The other side of this coin is that John Herdman has done enormous good for the Canadian yeah. national team. Um, I mean, if we stay on the F thing for a moment, it's all a bit of an overreaction, isn't it? Like, presumably, if you're a coach of, of players and you want to motivate the players and you, you have a team that is motivated with, with kind of aggression and enthusiasm, then saying you're going to F the next team, I mean, that's just far, that's fine. It's like, it? also, what, what's you, everyone so upset if about? You have, if you have a group of players who are arriving at a tournament as an underdog, mm. I don't really have a problem with it because it's... You could do it better. It's not the smartest thing. It's not necessarily what I would do in his position, but that's who he is. And it's a way of firing up his players. It's also a way of firing up his nation and, and um, engendering a kind of a level of enthusiasm and excitement for the tournament and expectation ahead of the Croatia game. And I get it. I get it. But this is the age of like, oh, that aged badly, isn't mm. it, on social media and everybody having a sort of a point and laugh. Sure. Um, so it's not clear what's real anymore, is it? it that's the it problem. It is unclear. Because what you have is a scenario where there are like, I mean, thousands of people yeah. who will take any opportunity to, to, to clamber on top of someone else. And then it's not clear what anyone actually thinks anymore. I honestly, when I look, when I yeah. open Twitter, I look at it and I think, is this, what reality is this a reflection of? It's the reality of inside of people's heads. It's a kind of, it's a, it's a big ego game. And you have no idea who the people are as well. So if you think, yeah. right, if you could see what they look like, I bet you wouldn't have the same response to what you're thinking. Sure. You see uh, newspaper articles online that use random tweets to say like, oh, fans have laid into this as being a terrible or a yeah. good TV show. How Twitter reacted. And it's like 10 people yeah, with, yeah. like, yeah. not the followers should matter, but like 10 or 14 oh, followers. Oh, you, you can find someone saying anything. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's and bizarre, isn't it? But then I used to work in a newspaper online and I know sure. that when people would want to find articles like this because people like them, people yeah. read them. Can I, can I provide some context for what John Herbert has done at Canada or what's happened in Canadian soccer since or during his tenure? Is it real? Is, is it from it, this is real. This, this is statistically real and checked. Great, so please do. He was appointed, he moved over uh, in 2018 to become the head coach of the Canadian men's national team. The year before, in 2017, uh, Canada were 97th in the FIFA rankings. Mm -hmm. um, in 2020, so two years into Herbert's reign, they, they'd risen to 72nd. And earlier this year, they were 33rd. Sure. So, um, so he's done a good effing job. He's done a good effing job. And also like, I think, um, soccer is bigger in Canada than people realize in 2019. I looked it up. There were a million registered soccer players in 2019 in Canada. Um, there are actually only 600,000 ice hockey players registered, which is explainable because I guess what, what's re what's registered. I suppose if they you're racing with a birth, local club, so when they're or, born like you're a hockey player, okay. yeah. <laughs> and you're going to be a football player. It means like you're assigned to a club. You 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 play regularly. You're a member of a club. Right. Um, I suppose ice hockey obviously is Canada's game, no, no doubting that. And soccer's mm. a long, long way behind that, sure. But I suppose it's it's been more expensive. You need to buy skates and stick and pads and all that kind of yeah. um, helmet and everything you'd need. I'm trying to think of what well, else. Well, and you hey, need and to what with the what with climate change, yeah. you know. And they're an amazing Will thing. there be any ice? Well, you Actually, I think the thing that happens after the initial warming is, is a the, lot of ice. the cooling and mm. there, there's more ice. Ice hockey will be very popular soon. If anything, people yeah. should probably stop uh, playing football and start playing ice hockey. Yeah. Also, um, uh, 
in the delayed Tokyo Olympics, the Canadian women's team won gold. And I looked it up and 4.4 million people watched that happen mm. um, in Tokyo, well, in Canada, in Tokyo, mm. which was a, a record on wow. Canadian television. So there is a, the game's big. Yeah. It's getting bigger, it's growing. Um, and John Herdman is in the center of that somewhere. And he's kind of, um, he's kind of conducting whatever you want to, however you want to describe that energy. And so, yes, he probably gets a little bit overexcited and he makes himself look a little bit foolish, get that completely. Again, not what I would do, but... I think you have to remember what's, you know, the kind of the, the whole well, the overall picture here. Let's stay on, and I, I, you know, for any Croatian uh, uh, listeners we have now, we will come to talk about the team, good performance. I just want to stay on Canada for a moment because this is the last time that we'll discuss them during the tournament, JJ. Um, bit of a shame that they have been eliminated. They haven't lost either of their games. So they impressed in both and they, it was a delight to have their involvement. Yes. And the reason it was good to have them was that because they're like, I would say they've got a couple of really good players, and Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies really good. Mm. Everybody likes Buchanan yes. Um, yes. as well, and uh, I think Eustachio, the midfielder, Ooh, the, Portu- the, Port- the Portuguese guy. Yeah, yeah, really impressed with him uh, in this this tournament. And also, I thought um, Kamal Miller had quite a good. Yeah, we liked him, didn't we? They still have yeah. getting to play, right? So yeah. you know, they're still there. But uh, what a lot of teams who aren't amazing across the board have done in this tournament is sit deep, like Costa Rica, for an example, sit really deep, really horrible and boring to watch, just foul everyone at the halfway point. Um, offer no pressure, no energy, no fun, no inventiveness, and then hopefully get uh, some sort of shot or a free kick or something like that. And you can win games that way. It's, there's not a right way to win a game of football. Well, is there? <laughs> anyway, in Canada are really fun to watch. And what you get with them... JJ's you- taking his trousers <laughs> off again. <laughs> <laughs> and the audio listeners have no way of proving that's not true. <laughs> uh, and so what they were doing is really... The goal that they scored today, Alfonso Davies scored from inside two minutes or something like that. And it's just people running, going, 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 going. And they're full of energy. Uh, there's a lot of quick players they've got, especially up top, maybe not through the middle of the pitch, but you don't need it. So the two guys in the middle of the pitch, Hutchison and uh, Eustachio, they, they just keep things kind of safe, whereas Eustachio can help progress the ball. Then you've got Davies, who's like lightning fast. Laren, I can't remember. Jonathan David, really fast. Buchanan, really quick. And then they, they back them up with other players that can help out. Uh, Largi and Johnston both had a decent game as well. And then they take the game to the opponents. But when you do that, you naturally leave space. Uh, well, Canada were leaving it through the middle of the pitch. That's how Croatia were able to go through them. And there was the difference in styles here. So Croatia seemed very, not lethargic from the start, but like controlled and composed. Yes. And the difference in styles. So you've got a midfield of Kovacic, Brozovic and Modric who are uh, individually great players. Um, and as, as a three they're quite similar. So they can play the sort of football you want to be able to play to keep the ball in the middle of the pitch and progress it up the way. And they were just staying calm, composed, controlled, keeping their energy. Whereas you saw Canada tired towards the end of the last game against Belgium, wasn't it? And uh, and in this game as well, they thought they might tire as well. So they had the lead, but Croatia didn't panic and just stayed calm. And slowly, it's like uh, if, if Croatia were a tank, they were slowly rolling towards uh, Canada who were going all at them and using up all their firepower early. Do you think the um, the four four two from Canada was a mistake? I mean, because the four four two also included like a thirty nine year old Hutchison in there. Like I, I mean, he, he was probably culpable for two or three of the goals. It just looked when you've got those three players in the Canadian midfield, like you can get on a carousel pretty easily, and you're being spun by their distribution. And I don't want a thirty nine year old player anchoring my midfield, really, or at uh... least I want somebody in there to help him if I can. If I if I if I think he's so important. That I need to start him after 60 minutes against Belgium. 
it feels it felt like a mistake. I don't think I don't know if it was, but well, I, it felt I think like the manager one. got the, the, tactically. I thought he was excellent against Belgium, and they won that battle. I can't remember why. I remember thinking that, so bear with me. But if you have there's four there's four or four two, um, what you'd get is essentially kind of a four two four, right? Because you've got David and Laren who can try and get in the box to get on the end of things. You've Buchanan is basically a wide right who can come inside if you want, can be overlapped by a fullback if you want to. Then you've got Davies who's playing left wide left but actually coming inside more mm. in the middle maybe an overlap from one of the forwards or uh, a supporting run from one of the fullbacks and when you so this, this is the, the choice you make is if you go like this that's very brave and that forces the opposition to go back because they're going to be a bit panicked so naturally then you have like Kramaric who's not quick will have to come back try and support Modric has got to come in Brozovic has got to be coming back Kovac has got to come back and then the press means that the front two and the well basically the front four can stop passes going into these players you want to stop it getting into them and when you're there then you've got another two in front so essentially you've got this uh sort of a pentagon shape that blocks in a midfield three of croatia which helps which hurts the way they want to build so you're trying to stop them early but it's risky it's high risk high reward well it's not even high reward mm. you're just trying to keep them there if you're spain you can do this because you've got the technical ability to then play one touch two touch once you win it back and get back into shape and uh, and make the pitch nice and big. But Canada don't quite have those players, so it's quite a risky thing. It's worth pointing out, I suppose, uh, given that you know they're one of the first teams to be eliminated, that they they were unfortunate enough to play in their first two games, two of the semi finalists of uh, <laughs> the last tournament. Right? I, I feel I feel like it's yeah. a point worth making uh, because actually they've they competed well against both teams. Yeah. Um. And uh, anyway, let's talk about Croatia now. Um, Croatia, as you mentioned already, JJ, uh, they controlled the game well. They look like they're kind of wily old selves in in, in terms of the game management. Um, how far do you think they can go currently top of the group? Well, I thought for this game, that, so I think on points are bad, I predicted that Canada might win this because I thought Canada would have too much energy for them. Yeah. Too much energy and, and just speed, basically, intensity. And Croatia don't really have that. They don't really press. They keep the ball well. And they lack a real goal score. But then you saw that they scored three today, so maybe I'm wrong with that. But the problem I thought they had was getting to the final third, which is important because you can't win games unless you score goals. Now, Canada are like they're they're really how is it fun to watch? It sounds condescending, but I don't mean it like that. I mean like they're entertaining in the way they play and I admire the approach. But they lack some of the quality and control and technical skill and maybe maybe tactical noose that you get from Croatia and the way they manage the game. It's a big games management. But that's just, I think the manager made a choice as to how they want to play and it was probably the right one. Croatia with what they've got, I mean, they've got decent players, but I, I put them very much in the middle, like rung. If they get through, it'll be tight games and they'll have to have the luck go for them to get sure. it all the way through it. But they're certainly a team that, that the other teams won't want to face. I think, the, well... The, it's well, a tiring to game to play against Croatia. Yeah, I mean they've got so they've got one of the best young centre backs in the tournament. So they've got I mean that one player doesn't make a difference, but their their defence is all right. The back line's quite good. Luka Modric is still one of the best midfielders in the entire world. Mm. And Kovacic can run it. was brilliant today as well. I Who sorry? Kovacic. Kovacic. Yeah, yeah, he was great actually. But so they can control the game. So that what you don't want is them to get control of it in the midfield. But you can work your tactics around that to stop it. Sometimes players are so good that they can pass around whatever tactics are. So you might get Modric or Kovacic can just burst through the lines by dribbling Kovacic or Modric from pulling someone out wide and spring a pass into someone. Mm. But I think it's not that they need to be lucky to win. I just think a lot of what they do depends on 50-50s or 60-40s always going their way. And you can't rely on that. Do you think they're a bit, they're interesting in the way they seem to adapt around whatever they're facing. They're not very proactive. They just seem to 
take their shape from whatever the challenge is that they're that they're, they're put up against it's kind of interesting because you wouldn't necessarily like certainly offensively i don't really I'm not sure i categorize croatia as a particular type of team i suppose because you don't really have that that feature center forward there yeah. but you think okay so you know modric kovacic brozovic they're going to work out an opponent over time and that's where their domination is going to come from that's what their rhythm and shape is going to look like after well i wonder what sessions you put on for them because you know they're going to try and play yeah. in the midfield if you want to try and get it out wide you've got you've not really got the players for it Persis is not as fast as he used to be no. so you can't really rely on width and trying to play out wide if you do play out wide early then you'd have to get these guys to hold it and bring other players into play probably the midfield so all your like small sided sessions or whatever shaping you're doing would pretty much be Put the, put the three of Kovacic, Brozovic and Modric in a box and then just like let okay. them practice because they'll just move wherever they need to. They're really clever. It's like Pedri. It's the same thing that these players have got. Musiala, mm. same players like that. They've got a long history of playing together as well. Exactly. Well, they just they can just dance around and they're, like I say, they're quite similar, but they fit exactly what Croatia want to do and can control the game. So Croatia can't go at teams. They don't have the pace. Like when Canada were sprinting, uh, Croatia seemed to be kind of jogging quickly. Mm. There's a difference in intensity, I think. But I think we saw the control and... I mean, they reached the final before, right? That is true. I didn't make that up. They reached the no, final. no, you absolutely didn't Because they beat England in yeah. the semis, right? And then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, and then lost to France, yeah. Yes, that's his real life. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Cool. That, that did happen, manager. yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. And so they have that big game, uh, big tournament... Uh, mentality? Mentality, yeah. yes. I quite like the left side, though. Like, I, I really like Borna Sosa... Who's probably, he was great today. He's yeah. probably going to leave Stuttgart in January. Actually, there's a big old um, uh, kerfuffle going on with his contract, so I think he's he's on the market. But I like Perisic. He's not as quick as he used to be. He's not the player that he was at Bayern Munich or Inter Milan. I think Tottenham fans know that. But he's smart, and he's kind of like he's kind of a reference point for Borna Sosa, and also kind of a player that Kovacic can work with as well. Like yeah. I, I really like that sort of trio of players. There, it's fun. Mm. I, I don't think it's a hugely destructive. It's not, you know. It's not particularly dynamic, but it's a it's a, a really decent compartment. Okay, thanks, Seb. Let's have another break. Okay, uh, Belgium nil to Morocco. Sounds like a bit of a surprise, JJ. Unless you're you, it was a it's a surprise to me. Exactly, Joe. Because Morocco are much better than you might have thought they were. They have really good players. Um, I think Buffal and Ziyech had good games today. Uh, but the real key to me is this guy Amrabat in the midfield. He's great. He was basically just dictating everything. The midfield general linking everything. So they play this this like four one four one shape or four three three, whichever you want to call it. But this guy in the middle, the general, uh, controlling it. And the thing is, where Morocco are good, Belgium are not as good as you think they are. They mm. had they have had a golden generation in the past, but they're getting a bit older now. We look at like uh, I try to work out what their average age was. The average age of the players twenty nine point nine. In this, the starting 11. That's old. That's old. So you want to be, the peak's probably about 26 is what you want. Yeah. In fact, the average age of World Cup winners is 26.3. Is it? Yeah. No. <laughs> I worked that out before the tournament, yeah. Oh. So they're a bit older than that, right? So, and the, the ages that they're older, so the the, the centre-backs for Tongan, about 35, I think, something like that. And you've got Alderweireld, 33. That's kind of normal. So you can deal with that. That's fine. I mean, Brazil, Thiago Silva's 37 or something like that. 38, I think, I know. Is oh, he? well, there you go. Because time two. goes on. Time does pass. And then, but then players like Mooney are getting a bit older now. And Witzel just looks so slow. He looks like he's running at 2.5, oh, at 0.25 speed. Um, Eden Hazard is not the player he once was. Uh, Torgan Hazard was all right, but not as young as you think he is. He's 29. Eden Hazard's 31. These guys don't have any of the energy and speed and pace that you really probably need at this level to make things happen. And they play like it. Mm. They take so many touches. Uh, there's never one and two touch. The, the couple of times they did it in this game, they looked good. 
but generally it was taking touch, 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 allowing the, the opposition to get into position to be able to block them. And it was slowing it uh, right down. So there's a lot of problems with Belgium. Uh, they, they changed their shape. So uh, Roberto Martinez is a very tactical manager. He likes to see the game out and, and provide solutions to his team to try and beat them. But you see a lot of depth between the centre-backs and the forwards. But what you saw in this game from the start, what they were doing is that all Morocco's width comes from their two fullbacks. So Hakimi and Mazraoui are absolutely key. These guys are great players, especially Hakimi who's at PSG. He's one of the best right backs, wing backs in the entire world, right? Mm. So they're always going to get forward. Uh, this is very confusing with the colours on the board. Uh, Mas- Masrari is the player that was at Ajax last season. Is now at right? Bayern Munich. Yeah. Now at Bayern Munich, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there we go. That looks better now. That is so much better. Now that yeah. I that can is, see what's going great. on now. No, I was right getting there. confused. Yeah. So Enesri, uh, good to be a striker here. So what you've got is that, because you know that they're going to go forward and create the width, it was a real problem. So what they did in this game is played uh, Torkin Hazard, Eden's brother, as a kind of left-sided player. So it looks like a 4-2-3-1, but it's sort of a two different formations in one because what would happen is that when Hakimi goes, Torgan would have to engage him early and he'd come back. So it looks a bit like they're playing a back three. Yeah. And Martinez loves a back three. So Castani would be here and build up as well. You'd have this back three build up. So they've got like lovely angles with someone like Witzel uh, coming a bit deeper mm. to be able to make that more of a uh, diamond shape. But then because Hazard was doing this so much on the left-hand side to stop Hakimi getting forward, Hakimi stopped doing it and came inside the pitch, the solution... And then it didn't really matter anyway because when Belgium got the ball, they had loads of players high up the pitch. They had a couple of midfielders in the middle and there was just too much space in the middle of the pitch. So you want to have depth. You want to have space between your striker and your defender. You want to push the opposition defenders back towards their own goal to create space for midfield. But what the, the space they're creating is just massive and you can't do anything with it. So they would pass the ball to someone who would have a look and the team would be too far away. So they'd take a touch, take a touch. Someone would come up to them and tackle them. They'd have to pass it back and they're just keeping it like it's horseshoeing. A lot of teams are horseshoeing at the moment, putting it back without causing any direct threat mm. to anyone. But the problem that Belgium had was that they didn't have any pace to take anyone on and drive up the pitch. You had to try and pass it. They were doing it really slowly. So whenever they did it slowly, Morocco got back in their shape and then he had midfield general, uh, where is he? Uh, Amrabat in the middle, just taking everything so they couldn't really cause them any trouble. Right, yeah. So on uh, on Belgium, uh, Seb, um, Ed Nazard made some comments uh, about the German protests after match day one, didn't he? Yeah, he was very critical. So the German players obviously covered their mouth ahead of the team photo before the anthem. And and Hazard said, um, paraphrasing, oh, you know, maybe, maybe they should just focus on playing instead. I've got the quote here, actually. Yeah. He said, they would have done better not to do it and win, he said. We are here to play football. I am not here to send a political message. People are better placed for that. We want to be focused on football, which, of course, from a personal perspective, is is fine. But it seems like an odd thing to do to criticise well, them. I mean, also, obviously, it, it would have been better if the Germans had won. <laughs> I don't think anybody would disagree with that. No, but no, again, no, like no. it's another example of there being a, a like a, a correlation drawn between between these two things. I'm just not sure how, what that could be. Yeah, we heard Rob Page do the same thing. The Wales head coach. I no, I, I completely agree. If, if a player wants to take that stance, that's absolutely fine in private mm. I don't think it's terribly smart to say that out loud it just comes no. across as sounding quite snide and um, yeah I didn't see the purpose of it it was just a needless dig which makes you look a little bit silly I also um, think it would have been better if Belgium had won yes me too which game? This I, I, well, I, I, just, I, don't, I don't think you know I. it's just a very odd situation to put yourself in like if you're you know, everything about Eden Hazard for really for three years has been about, can you rediscover your form? Mm. I had a few people say that actually, you know, back in this Belgian system, maybe this will be, you know, our last glimpse of 
of of classic Hazard, Chelsea Hazard. You think, okay, in that situation, head down, get yourself fit, get yourself focused. You know, if you've got these limitations as a squad, you need to be tactically absolutely perfect to get away with it. So why invite the noise? Very strange. I still haven't had a justification for it. I find it very weird. Yes. Um, yes. Okay, fine. Well, um, on Morocco, quickly yeah. as well, they had a bit of a managerial drama ahead of the tournament, Seb. Can we have some context on that? Could say that, Joe. Could mm. say that. So um, uh, Morocco were very, very successful um, during qualifying. They remained unbeaten. They only conceded three goals. And yet in the background, um, they uh, they were managed by a guy called Vahid Halihodzic, who, while successful, well, um you know, uh, statistically, you know, looking good, um, didn't have a great AFCON because they got knocked out by Egypt in the quarterfinals. But also he had a little running battle with um, Hakim Ziyech, who um, he accused of fake injury to get out of international duty. He um, he said he was a kind of disruption to um, squad harmony to the point where Ziyech actually retired from international football. And this really antagonized not only fans who Ziyech is a really gifted player. He's very important. And if you were Moroccan, you'd want him starting, sure. Um, but obviously it antagonized his bosses uh, as well. And so um, roughly about 100 days before the tournament started, it was announced that they had parted ways. Uh, it was described as a kind of mutual agreement, but it didn't sound very mutual. I, mm. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was very difficult. Um, uh, Masrawi was, was, um, uh, had a little bit of an odd relationship with him too. And so... Well, it is. They, they promoted, um, I hope I pronounced his name right, Valid Regragi, um, who uh, he's been a little bit nomadic, but he's been pretty successful. He's won the African Champions League. He's won, um, I think he's won the Qatar Stars League as well. So he knows his way around international football or international club football, So, um, I should say. And they haven't conceded. I think I'm right in saying they haven't conceded a goal since he took charge. Might want to fact check that yeah, one. Six games he's been in charge for, they're not conceded one goal. I, I think they're great. And I, I think like to come in and like if, when anytime you have a manager at war with members of your squad, you're going to have little factions and it's going to be a little bit fractious. And so one of the one of the key tasks for a guy coming in in that situation is to create harmony, right? And especially before a World Cup and especially because, you know, you've got this, um, you know, this, it's not a young squad, but it is still, um, they've lost um, Mehdi Benatia, they've lost uh, Karim El Amadi, uh, Norden Amrabat, Sofian's brother, um, he's a bit Watford, people remember him. Mm. He's left the squad as well. And these were kind of tenants of um, the Moroccan international side. Uh, and so he's done an amazing job. And I, I it was my my favorite moment of the day actually it was great to see them then wrap up the win because they thoroughly deserved it they were so much better than belgium yeah. and um anytime you see moroccan fans in international tournaments like when it's a good situation that they're the kind of an asset to the tournament and just the the amount of them there and um yeah it was it was great to see it was uh a great moment for Morocco as well. well. I believe in JJ's uh, age, average age research, you also discovered that um, 12 of the squad are 25 or, or younger. They've got, you know, a, a slightly younger average age. So it's exciting yeah. to see them develop over time. Well, also, like, those are important players too. Like, look at someone like uh, Hakimi. Hakimi's 24, I think. Um, Nayef Agued, who I, I think is a like, really good centre-back in the making. I know he hasn't had much of a much of a start at West Ham yet because of injury, but he's going to become a really, really good player. Maserawi is still young. Amrabat is not old. Like these players have another tournament cycle in them. Mm. Uh, and that's really exciting if you're a Moroccan football fan. For sure. Has he played for West Ham yet? He's yeah, he, he came back. And then yeah, I, I think he did. I, I think he had a, a kind one of game. A, a go in the League Cup. I think, uh, maybe wrong it's about that. One Premier League appearance. So okay. he sent him for a heap of money and then uh, he got really badly injured. The right. money is fine because so. he was worth it. 
And yeah. if he if he performs up to his potential, he he's going to be a great signing for West Ham. Just get him fit and get him ready. And um, yeah, he's uh, he's excellent. He used to play for Ren. Ren. Okay. There you go. Moving on. Break. Uh, no, Check no, on Craig. No, maybe? I believe we've done both breaks okay. already. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, don't worry about it. That's why it's my job Sorry. to tell you when they are. Sorry. And for the third time or fourth time, I think, during this World Cup tournament, I At have least. had to try to remind you of that. You've restrained Don't me. let your anxiety get the better of you. When, yeah. you. when it's time to stop talking, just stop. Leave it to me. I don't like the silence. He's still going. I thought you'd do something like, and there'll be more breaks if you don't stop that. That would have been really good. Yeah, that would have been very funny. Yeah. yeah. That would have been good. If you're going to try and do my job, do it like he just did yes, it. He did it very well. Yeah. Do you know what? Speaking of this, yeah. uh, if, you know the... Am I fired? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I can't fire you. I don't have the... Power. I thought maybe the above had told you to tell me. If, 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 if maybe, you combine me and a JJ, do, does that add up to the authority? I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's like... One yeah. JJ plus one Seb equals... equals Joe plus one. Well, Joe okay. fired. Sure. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know, Segway is the thing that you can the ride on. around on. Isn't that a clever name? Because I think a Segway, you know, you go between sections, and yeah. obviously a Segway is spelt differently from how the actual word is. Is you go from between things. I mean, is it related? No, I was just watching Rest of Development last night. <laughs> I was thinking of that, and then you were doing a Segway there. Sure. Well, I was doing a Segway, and then yeah. Yeah. It's different spelling though. Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. a clever name. I like I like clever branding names like that. Do you think it's intentional? I haven't been paid by Segway. <laughs> there think, are other driving devices does available. It, yeah. Does it still exist? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Remember when everyone was so excited about those that it was definitely the future, and then they went away for fifteen years, and then they came back without a handle, and everyone had videos where they fell off them at Christmas. <laughs> you know, yeah. nanny needs a new hip. But people were going like they go flying on those things like, they quite do. quick. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Seb told me the other day that um, he lives a, a little bit uh, of a distance away from the, the train station in Hamburg and he takes one of those little electric scooters. Do you? I'd love yeah. to see it. Yeah. I just can't imagine you on no, one. No, they're very, very cool. So they, they there's different brands of them, but I'm a, a big Voy fan and they are, yeah, they're fun. His, his favourite is Voy. Yeah, the, you can get Voys and, the, and they're kind of, they're sort of pinkish, purplish kind of colour. And they're fun. They're, they're very, they're very quick. They're very speedy. They're very safe. So, and I feel very cool and European when I'm riding them, which is really the point. Right. Yeah. And also like if I, so sometimes when I'm coming into the office, I get the early flight and it's six in the morning when I leave home and it's winter. And I think, oh, I don't want to walk to the, you know, the S-Bahn station. And, you know, if I just take this, take this boy, it'll be two minutes and I'll be there. And it's, Perfect. it's a great thing. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. It's Productivity. Like it's his internal know. monologue there. Fine. Someone, someone's calling me a void boy in the chat now. <laughs> void boy. <laughs> <laughs> I had that coming. I had it coming. That's a nice nickname for the future. Well played, the chat. Now listen, (laughs) Japan nil one, Costa Rica. Wow, wow, wow. Um, Our friend, friend of the podcast, Tiago Esteva, tweeted earlier today, attacking transition team is unable to break down the deepest defensive block in the tournament. Shocking. JJ, he refers, of course, uh, to Costa Rica, who were very poor against Spain, but they were better uh, defensively. I thought Costa Rica were the worst team in the... I mean, they lost seven goals. Was it 7-0? Seven 7-1? Nil? Mm. Seven uh, they seven were terrible. 7-0. Nil. Uh, so in this game, they changed their shape to more of a 5-4-1, and it meant that they were a little bit just different how they defended. The The difference not in shape, really, for me, it was that they, they, were, they weren't so passive. They tried a little bit more to win the game, but they were... This was like, honestly, watching Dundee versus Kilmarnock. It was really poor. There was... Uh, like, so Japan, I thought lacked not to be one from Costa Rica straight away like Costa Rica just didn't they weren't able to really string passes together they were very slow they lacked pace they lacked creativity I thought 
They didn't want to send too many players forward because it would leave too much space at the back. They, they scored uh, with, I believe I'm right in saying, their one shot on target across both games. Right, so that makes total sense, right? Yeah. So it's the kind of thing that when and it, it happens, was a goalkeeping error. Yeah, when it not to, to, de- not to detract too much from them because defensively <laughs> they were improved. Uh, but they couldn't have been it much worse is the thing. So we were talking about this earlier, right, where they improved. I don't know they were that improved. I don't think they were that good. It's hard for any team to score against a team who blocks someone like this. Yeah. So like my comparison to the Scottish league is like when you watch someone like Livingston play, they're really like, they don't have great players. They've got not, none of them are really that good individually, but it's hard to break them down. Can I challenge you? Yes. I want to challenge him because we had John McKenzie on the show last night and we, we spent a bit of time talking about how during this tournament, actually the teams that have, that have done the deep block and have done the low block and tried to keep teams out have mo- more often than not been punished in a yeah. way that they may not have been in previous tournaments. And it's the it's the bold underdogs that have been, you know, the higher pressers, the ones that are taking risks uh, that, that have actually been rewarded. There haven't been too many games where Costa Rica, you know, or a team like Costa Rica did what they did today and got a result out of it. I, I'm not I'm not a stand for Costa Rica, but I won't I won't stand to hear you say that they weren't improved. They were improved, Seb. <sighs> it's a tricky one because <laughs> It, it, but it is, it's difficult because I, I, I see your point. Uh, they were a bit better. Yeah. I think a little bit of this is to do with their preparation. They had that, they were supposed to play a preparatory friendly in, uh, against Iraq in Basra and it, um, it never took place because of a, a strange passport situation. So there was an agreement where oh. Costa Rican players could go in and into, to Basra and not have their passport stamps, which, which was important because having your passport stamped, um, uh, in Iraq would have uh, supposedly caused some issues elsewhere in the region with access to countries. Sure. Don't know if that's true. That's just what I've, I've heard. Um, and so presumably when the Costa Ricans were building towards the tournament, they factored in, right, that game, we're going to try some stuff out and we're going to work at some fitness and, um, you know, build some chemistry and cohesion, that kind of thing. Didn't happen. And they were absolutely dreadful against Spain. And so I feel like maybe in a way the Spain game was the friendly yeah. if that makes if that makes any sense at all yeah uh so yeah there was an improvement i wasn't it wasn't they weren't a great watch they were better and sure. they were tougher to beat yeah. um i thought japan were really uh disappointing japan were poor yeah i just love a bit of positivity you yeah know? Well, I mean, you can. That's the thing, right? So Japan were poor, but anyone would be against anyone. So like, Spain can play the way they did against this low block, yeah, because they have the technical ability uh-huh. and the speed, the speed of thought, and speed of running shoes, speed of running this, speed of running shoes. So the speed of running this and speed of thought, yeah. and technical ability to be able to pass quickly through tight spaces uh-huh. and control the pitch, and uh, they've got they just control of the game so they can push right up and squeeze them so eventually they can work them down and then you saw Costa Rica they played no pressure whatsoever opened up gaps so they were easy to go through now against Japan they lacked that same sort of pace and cunning and like they're not bad so like what I've seen someone in the chat saying I'm using the Scottish League as a reference point for things being bad it's not that it's bad <laughs> it's that it's not fun to watch like if if you are that I'm, sounds bad but anyway, I love watching Scottish football right so yeah. I love watching this stuff but the thing is, right, most of the teams in that league, they lack technical ability uh, in, they can, they're professional footballers, so they can play at higher levels, whatever, but they mostly lack technical ability to play in tight spaces at high speed. So what you tend to get is teams who smash into each other in four, two, three ones or five, four ones. Mm. And it's basically whoever makes the mistake loses. 
and then someone else might pile on while you're trying to counter, like trying to attack and leave space behind. Yeah. So Japan have decent players. Like I thought Kamada was decent, right? They're, they're okay. They've got decent players. Like Doan came on because he did well in the first game. Uh, and they had obviously players like Asano that can come on and Minamino didn't get in the team. Uh, Dyson Maeda was on the bench for this one. Now, they just don't have quite like, when I'm talking about the technical like ability under duress or, or in high speed, is that when they have the ball, they're passing it slowly, then taking a touch then picking their next pass. Yeah. When the only way to open up a, a team that's like uh, the way Costa Rica were playing is to speed the tempo up. Yeah. So you, by speeding the tempo of your passes up, you drag players out of position and it can be, let's say that you have players in and around the box and they've got all players pushed up, right? Right in their own half and they're squeezing them in and Costa Rica don't mind because they know they've created a distance from their last line to the goal, which are unlikely to score from. It's very unlikely you score from the middle of the pitch um, with a a long shot. You're unlikely to score from where Kamada is uh, in the middle of the pitch. But if you can speed the tempo, you might drag a player out to close someone down. Then someone else might be dragged by someone dropping in. And Mm. then that creates space for that player to get in behind. And that's your one chance you get to get it in. If you then have the technical ability to find that pass and the confidence to play it to get them in, Spain did. That's why they can break that down. But teams like Japan, and it's part of why the World Cup's so fun to watch because because not everyone can do that. So then but when you get teams like Japan and Costa Rica who are very equal, it's always going to be low scoring because neither team wants to lose. And so they set up not to lose. And I, Japan were unfortunate they couldn't create enough to get a goal. Yeah. And Costa Rica's was just a simple error from the goalie not jumping quickly enough. Good, good finish, but the goalie jumps too early, can't get his hands power yeah. onto it to push it away. And that's the game. He and then can't get his hands power. You're absolutely right. His hand, hands power is one of my neighbours. Yeah. And he said that uh, the, the problem the goalkeeper with Japan's goalkeeper was that he didn't have hands power. Yeah. But if he'd had, a, if he'd had your neighbour in goal with him, well, hands would have, saying, he would have covered more of the hands surface Hands has worked area. a lot with the Japanese goalkeeper and yeah. he said it's one of his weaknesses. Fine. But it's one of hands powers is powers. Right. Amongst many other powers. There we go. Which we can... <laughs> we can play with later in the week. Sounds like a powerful guy. Yeah. He really does. On Japan, uh, Seb, uh, briefly, they are in a, a bit of a tricky situation in the group now. Mm. Um, this really was a game to get something from. Now, a draw would have been good for Japan and it would have made life very difficult for Germany uh, today. As it stands, Germany earned one point from the game against Spain um, and we assume that they will beat Costa Rica. They'll have enough in their locker, as JJ says, to do so. Uh, Japan are going into a game against Spain. And if they don't get something out of that, uh, it's uh, it's curtains. Yeah, it would have been a better result for Japan had Spain beaten Germany for a couple of reasons. Not least because Spain would have been through and have played a weakened side against them in the next game. But yeah, you, you fear for them now. Mm. It, it's really sad, actually, because what I saw from them in the first game, particularly that second half, it was so exciting. Yeah, And watching... A lot of those attacking players combined was really fun. Mm-hmm. And now you feel like I, I just, I can't see them beating that Spanish side. And um, I also can't see Costa Rica holding Germany. So sure. Um, well, something yeah. you can see is Messi walking. Yeah. And uh, according to this, uh, this graph that I stole from the Athletics uh, Twitter account, um, the top 20 highest players for distance walked in the Qatar World Cup 2022. Yeah. Messi is first with 4,625. Yeah? Five what? I don't know. Oh, meters. Meters. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not, I guess it's not going to be miles, you know. Uh, but he's first. Do you want to have a little guess at who some of the other names on this list might be? 
Oh, are they all goalkeepers? Do, one of them uh, is a goal. Well, actually, there could be some goalkeepers on here that I don't know who they are, but okay. I, I recognise one. And I don't think I don't think there's many. Okay, I'm trying to think. Oh, I Centre wish I'd known this before. I could have thought of some. Um, you're, you're you're sort of fielding difficult questions, or you're throwing them at me. Is Ronaldo one of them? Am I expected to know if someone's a defender? Ronaldo does not appear. Although Ronaldo has has obviously not played a second game yet, so that's probably why. Yeah, very small sample. He size, doesn't walk this. an awful lot either. He does jog a bit. Shall I just tell you? Yeah, 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 yeah okay. Really well, good. in second place is uh, Mohamed uh, Salisu. There ah, we go. Okay, so we've got Herving Lozano there in third. Jordan Pickford appearing in fourth. Robert Lewandowski in there, there in fifth, and other players, including uh, good ones like Kevin De Bruyne and Antoine Griezmann. Yes. Yeah. Luke Shaw, Jude Bellingham, and John Stones are all sort of there, a bit lower down, really? doing a bit of walking. walking. Well, I guess they were doing a lot of passing sideways and walking, weren't they? Yeah. They have also played two games, whereas some players in the competition have only yeah, still played one. Started, yeah. Yeah. We should have done this at the end of the second match day. Well. We I didn't. mean, it's, it's all still f- fun. I still liked it. It's fine. It's it is ca- fine. It's ca- it's it would is sort fine. of be irrelevant at any time. Yeah. 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 So d- yeah. it doesn't matter really, does no, it? No, for sure. But okay. um, the only other thing we want to talk about today, Carlos Keras on, on Twitter, we talked about this actually a couple oh, of days boy. ago, uh, yeah. because Jürgen Klinsmann was on ITV and talked about Iran after the, the Iran-Wales game. A, li- a little disparagingly, I thought, and we raised that at the time. Uh, we awoke the next morning, Seb, you and I, uh, flatmates, living together, having a great time Best friends. Um, in each other's company yeah. constantly, uh, riding the tube together every day. Walking to Twice. and from the tube together every day yes. as well. Yes. Unable to get an Uber for love or money. But we awoke together uh, to read this, um, yeah. the, the, the tweet thread from Carlos Kirosh. Yeah, it's unusual. I... Will you strange... contextualise it? Will you tell, tell people Fine. what the thread was, if they because many okay. people might not know. So I think um, since Iran's victory over Wales, Carlos Kiros or someone close to Carlos Kiros has listened back to Jürgen Klinsmann's analysis of the Iranian performance, in which he talked broadly about um, some of the the tackling. I've actually um, got it up. Do you want me to read some ooh, of it? Yeah, to that'd you? be great. Yeah. Dear Jürgen, yeah, the tweet thread begins. Well, the, the, it's quite a long thread. That's why oh. I was going to paraphrase. I'll but read you, the choice bits. Okay. You took the initiative to call me Carlos. That's not, I shouldn't have read that bit, but it's a polite opening, you know? And anyway, and then uh, I should have checked which bits I should read before. Ah, no matter how much I can respect what you did uh, on the pitch, those remarks about Iranian culture, the Iran national team and my players are a disgrace to football, said Carlos Kirosh. Nobody can hurt our integrity uh, if it's not at our level, of course. Even saying so, we would like to invite you as a guest to come to our national team camp, socialise with Iran players and learn from them about the country, the people of Iran, the poets, the art, the algebra, all of the uh, millennial Persian culture. Uh, It goes on and on and on. Um, it's quite, it's kind of interesting that it happens during a tournament. We see that sort of thing from time to time, but um, not between games normally. Not between games. And listen, I, I do think Jürgen was out of order. We both did. We were watching it and we reacted to it in the same way and that I, it was quite disparaging. I thought it was quite disrespectful. He did. He described a few things as culture, which I'm not sure were. Yeah. And that could just be, that could be lost in translation. It could be a second language yeah. thing. It could be, I, I don't know. Um, uh, Jürgen Klinsmann, um, his English is pretty good. Uh, but I thought it was unfair on the Iranian performance. I thought Iran won that game because they just were better, not because of any kind of skullduggery or um, dark arts or because they were harassing a referee or fouling at the right times or things like that. I just thought they were better. Yeah. So Jürgen Klinsmann was off in his analysis. Um, I don't want to ascribe any kind of deeper meaning to what he said. I don't think that's necessarily the right thing to do. But yeah, it's very strange in the middle of, well, between games. I mean, imagine if a 
a higher profile manager did it. Imagine if um, Gareth Southgate got annoyed with somebody on, um, you know, an international TV station and mm-hmm. um, wrote out a seven tweet thread. It would be quite odd. I think. Imagine. Yeah, I'm not saying he's wrong to have done it. It's just, it's an unusual thing. It's not what we expected to see. We we actually saw that when we left the office last night yeah. at sort of 11.30 and it felt a little bit like a fever dream. But yes. um, yeah, strange one. Uh, Jürgen Klinsmann has spoken since and he's, he's talked about he, he wants to kind of calm things down a little bit and seems quite contrite. So yeah, who knows sure. how that's going to end that yeah, for his Yeah, for his right reply or whatever, is he yeah. says uh, it's stuff taken out of context. Yeah. You'll try and give him a call and calm things down. I've never criticised Carlos or the Iranian bench. Uh, all they described was their emotional way of doing things, which is actually admirable in a certain way. Sure. Yeah, he's um, he's rode back a little bit and uh, hopefully cool yeah, heads sure. prevail. Well. Well. Points are bad. Should points we do points are bad, bad and wrap yes, things I up, I suspect please. I am going to enjoy points are bad Well, today. not as much as you think you are going oh. to enjoy it, Seb, oh. because whilst you are a victor today with seven <laughs> points, you are sharing that victory with the gentleman across from you, JJ Bull, who oh, appears okay. to be able to continually get good results two perfect scores today one each you got the final game the spain germany game correct you predicted one one you you absolutely did and uh seb you got the belgium morocco game correct you predicted two nil morocco which is i think a fantastic prediction correct very very impressive well done seb thank you very much you both earned seven points for the day i'm happy bunny too because i came second did you beat john mckenzie yes i did how much did you beat john mckenzie by two points (sighs) i finished on nine for the day i had a pretty good uh, last game i thought it was a two one germany one one left me with just the one point i had a difficult one with uh, with croatia canada i predicted canada to win that one two one um and i added four points there you added four Four points on that game as well, JJ. Yeah, we shared in misery there. But oh. I did okay throughout the rest of the day. Someone who didn't do well, though, is John McKenzie, uh, which is a bit of a shame. But he will be going first today because he finished on 11 points for the day. Mm, difficult. Picking up four points in the Japan-Costa Rica game. Uh, he also picked up three points in Belgium-Morocco. Alas. So let's do our predictions for uh, tomorrow's games. And we will begin with John McKenzie on Cameroon-Serbia. Uh, and... And uh, John McKenzie has requested a nil-two there. Believes that Serbia will win that game two-nil. Seb, oh, it's me next, isn't it? It's You're me not getting next. the song today, no? You're not getting the song. Uh, oh, I keep forgetting about the song. We do Let, after. Let's do the song. Let's do the song now. Amid, and I'll have a think about what song. I actually think. Yeah, it'll give us a bit of a hype, you know. Okay, I want to get hyped before let's mine. So let's, let's enjoy the song. And uh, producer Craig, you can uh, you can play that song now. We should check the edit. Yes, there we go. It's delightful. Oh, I love the slow fade from producer Craig today. And that has that has cheered me up. Yeah? Do you feel better now? I feel good. I had a donut earlier and I felt really good after that. I had a bit of a crash. Though, yeah, you? I've crashed during the show. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, Cameroon, Serbia. I think that is... I'm just, you know what? Every day when I wake up in the morning and I see the fixtures and then I look at what I predicted, I go, that's so stupid. Why did I only think about it literally in the seconds beforehand? But it's too late again today. I'm going to go 1-1. One, one. Uh, Seb Stafford-Bloor, JJ Ball. I think JJ, because he's overall winner, will let you go next, Seb. 
I will take 1-0 Serbia. You'll take a 1-0 to Serbia. So that is a 0-1. And JJ Ball, of course, we're talking about Cameroon, Serbia here. Uh, what's been taken? Well, wouldn't it be good if you already knew? Let's yeah. just, I think it's more likely that you can just say that. 0 1, 1 0 to Serbia. Oh, well, I that's taken. Literally just taken that. Yeah. Okay, good. Pay uh, attention. Then, uh, 2 1 to Serbia. You think 2 1 to Serbia. Okay, you can have that. Fine. Now, John goes first on uh, Career Republic versus Ghana, and he has gone for a 0 0 in this game. It's rare that a 0 0 is, uh, is picked, but there's one. Uh, I think I am also going to pick a 1 1 again. Maybe that's going to be my strategy for tomorrow. Um, Seb Stafford Blore. I will take 2-0 South Korea. 2-0 South Korea. Okay. And JJ Bull. 1-0. 1-0 South Korea. Yeah. Fine. So again, I'm the only person predicting Ghana to score. I was right last time. You were all wrong. You all thought they wouldn't score last time and they scored two goals. Yeah. You want to change that? No. Okay, fine. Uh, John McKenzie to kick things off with Brazil. Switzerland. John chooses... 2-0 2-0 to Brazil. I think that's probably quite a good prediction, although I think Switzerland are going to give them a tough game, so I'm going to, I'm going to go for a 1-0. Seb Staffordblor. 1-0. 1-0. 1-0? Yeah, 1-0. Okay. Like Switzerland. JJ Bull, Brazil, Switzerland. Let's go crazy. 3-1 to Brazil. Oh, he's finally picking a big thing. He's going to add some points tomorrow, Seb. Look at that. He says it's not on purpose, but we, <laughs> we know it is. Yeah, it's not. Now, John starts things off with Portugal-Uruguay, which is also a very exciting game, isn't it? Portugal-Uruguay. He says a 1-1, which I think is a pretty sensible uh, pick there. I think Portugal was so poor. Again, I mean, I know they scored three goals, but they were poor against Ghana. I think they're not going to win that one. I mean, Uruguay weren't great either, were they? Remind me what Uruguay's previous result was. It uh, was a goalless draw with South Korea. It was a goalless draw with South Korea. Yeah. So it was. Yeah. Right, fine. In which case, I'm going to say that's, that's got nil-nil written all over it. Although, no, no, I, I'm not going to say that. I'm going to say that Uruguay are going to win that one nil. Okay, that's me done. Seb Blore. I'm going to say 2-1 Uruguay. 2-1 Uruguay. That's yeah. a 1-2. Yeah. Portugal-Uruguay, JJ. 1-nil to Portugal. 1-nil to Portugal. Wow. Okay. It's low scoring all round, but that's points about predictions for tomorrow. Dan. Now let me tell you the grand totals as of match day eight, I am in last place. The gap has grown because of the strong performance today of Seb Stafford Bloor. I'm on 69. Seb is on 63. Oh, Oh, has there been a change? Oh. Has there been a change? <laughs> Not as exciting as we uh, hoped for, but John is also on 63, which for you means you're joint second. For me, makes me third. Isn't that nice? I'm third. <laughs> it's great. You have well, moved up. Still last. You're still fourth. Well, I'm still last, but I'm third. No, because they're sharing second place. Well, that means they share second place. Uh, listen, fourth. I'm on the bronze podium, you know. You shut your mouth. No, and you, of course, bo- no, are standing both- at the top of the podium, still shorter than me, but you are 54 points in first place. Look at that. The gap now is nine between second place and first place. It's really going to take some beating for JJ now because we're all, all, also, we're presumably half, we're about halfway through the games, aren't we? Uh, yeah, I would have thought I so. I think we're yeah. probably yeah, about yeah, halfway yeah, yeah. through the games. So there's quite a big, um, big gap there now. Fine. Well, that was points are bad. Um, JJ Bull the Bullard. Uh, do, do, do you want a little uh, midway victory speech or? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, it's we take one game at a time and we go again each game is more important than the last I'm going to rest recover uh, I'm probably not actually going to do that uh, I can't wait to win and 
all the glory that will come with that. The glory of the World Cup and the points, which in this case are bad, but for me also bad in a good way. Because you see, chat, I get a lot of complaints when I interrupt people, but if I don't do it, <laughs> this is what happens. It goes on forever. Self Thank, Thank you, you, you very much for your much, uh, attendance today. You're most welcome. We'll see you again tomorrow. Yes, indeed. When we'll be joined not only by John McKenzie, but a special guest. Are we going to reveal our special guest? Or we can keep a no, secret. No, let's just secret. De- let's just definitely confirm that booking before we yeah, okay. reveal that. <laughs> yes. It is live after all. But thanks as usual to producers Don and Craig over there in the corner. Had a lovely show this evening, and uh, yeah, we'll be back tomorrow with more from TIFO and the World Cup. All the best now. See you later. Ta-ra. See Bye, Carmen's dad. Bye-bye.